this morning? And, and before you answer that, what I mean by runners is anyone who's ever run for sport or for exercise in a race or an event or, or through the neighborhood or on a path uh, for a competition or just for fun or for exercise, in, anything like that. Do we have any runners here today? If you think about that, then, then what is your preferred distance? There's a variety of different races and different things you can run. I, I know a lot of people, their preferred distance is from the couch to the fridge and back. That's their sprint, right? That, that's what they seek to do. Running is something I enjoy doing. Running is my therapist, my counselor, my happy place, if you will. It allows me to enjoy life a little more, and as my family will attest, it allows them to enjoy me more as well, which is why sometimes when I arrive home after being at the office for the day, uh, Michelle will put up with me for a while and then say something along the lines of, so when are you going for your run? <laughs> and she's really not asking me the question. It's more of a suggestion. The truth is, I'm usually just a little happier and a little easier to be around after I go for, for a run. Now, why am I talking about running? Well, if you've been journeying through this series and you've read the text for this morning's message, you know Today we wrap up our series through the book of Hebrews, a series where as we strive to discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ, we have been challenged with this reoccurring theme that Jesus is better, better than anyone else or anything else out there. Jesus is better than the prophets, better than angels, better than Moses and Joshua. He is better than any of the high priests that came before him. And because Jesus is better, we've been challenged with the ideas that Growing in our relationship with the Lord is better than stagnation. How living under the new covenant is better than living under the old covenant. How living a life of faith is better than being under the bonds of law. And today, as we wrap up this series, we take a look at how and why enduring is better than quitting. And here's the thing, I just need to apologize in, ad in advance because while we are wrapping up this series today, we are not really going to cover all of chapters 12 and 13. As I was preparing for the message this morning, I realized that to adequately cover these chapters, we would need a few more weeks or a few more hours in our day today. But what I do not want to do is just ignore the rest of the letter. So before I jump in and drill down on a couple of key verses this morning, here are some broad thoughts on chapters 12 and 13. The first thing I would encourage you to do with these chapters is to read it. And not only read it, but Read it with an open heart and an open mind, asking God to reveal to you the truths contained in the text. In fact, that's what we should do each and every time we open the scriptures. Hebrews is no different. There is so much good stuff in these two chapters. Things like in chapter 12, when it talks about when you endure hardships or disciplines in your life and relationships, that it can be a good thing if we allow it to bring about the righteousness in our life. We seek to allow it to mold us and shape us for God's glory. Also in chapter 12, we are encouraged to live at peace with all people, to honor God with our lives, living under the grace provided through his sacrifice and his love. In chapter 13, the author encourages us to love one another, to, to take care of each other, to remember that God will never leave us, God will never forsake us, and we are to hold fast to the teachings we have received. This is largely because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So we are encouraged not to be led astray by strange teachings, but be strengthened by our own faith and his grace. 
We are encouraged to offer a continual sacrifice of praise, sharing with each other as we seek to please God. There's that information and so much more in these last two chapters of this book. And we need to read it, right? And instead of exploring all those topics and, and the amazing ways in which this text can impact our lives of faith, what I want to do this morning is take a look at the first three verses of chapter 12. This is a passage of Scripture that I've read and thought about often, and so we're going to invest a few moments this morning to explore this text and what it means to us. So here we go. We jump into the last part of verse 1, where the author uses the phrase, let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. Thus, all the talk about running a little bit earlier. But before the author says these words, first we read in chapter 12, the beginning of verse 1, the word, therefore. And that takes us back to chapter 11, what we discussed last week. How Last week we, we looked at the chapter of faith and all that was accomplished through faith. We saw a list of people who were commended for their faith. And we were challenged as to whether or not we are living our lives in such a way as to be included in someone else's chapter of faith. So after talking about faith and what's accomplished through faith in Christ, the author then says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, since we have these people that have gone before us in the faith, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, if you're a runner, or frankly, even if you're not a runner, this probably makes sense to you. If you're going to run in a race, if you're going to play a sport, cook a meal, go to school, build a house, do the laundry, whatever it is, one of the things we do, if we are wise, is we look to those who have gone before us. We look to those who have successfully navigated that which we are striving to do. We read an article or talk to an expert. We listen to a coach. We read a recipe. We talk to upperclassmen. We read the plans. We follow instructions. And when it comes to our faith and running the race of faith that is marked out before us, we would do well to follow in the footsteps of others who have successfully run this race of faith. And what we see in the first part of Hebrews 12 are four things we would be wise to do in our race of faith so we can endure and not give up, so we will not quit. I invite you to write these down. The first thing we see is that we need to prepare. And to make this point, I go back to the illustration of running. When I was preparing for, for my first marathon, there were several things I did way back at the beginning. First, I read. Uh, I read magazines and articles about what other runners said about running a marathon. The struggles and the joys, the time commitment and the need for support, the challenges that were presented during the training and the run, and the sense of accomplishment once it is completed. I looked through a number of different running plans and decided to follow one that not only made sense, but it had helped other first-timers be successful as well. I purchased a pair of running shoes and some running socks. The reality is I didn't really purchase any of this. My wife purchased it for me. She's so much better at, at that type of stuff than I am. Uh, but, but I had these things. I made sure I had some, some running apparel, right? I had shorts. Now, I understand these shorts here, these are not your traditional running shorts. The traditional running shorts are a lot smaller and for me, nobody wants to see that, right? So I wear these longer shorts, right? I also wear these undershorts. And if you're a runner, you know what these are for. I've got a running shirt or two, right? I wanted clothes that are light and allow freedom of movement. They, they wick away the moisture and help regulate the body temperature. I grabbed a pair of sunglasses. 
You use sweatbands, you know, for, the, for your wrists and arms, and then, you know, these cool ones for your head, right? Uh, I, I used um, this aquaphor and this chafing stick. And again, if you're a runner, you know why, right? And you know where it goes. I realized that for me, I probably needed to eat a little better uh, in this process and lose a little bit of weight. And the reason for all of that was because while each of those things individually, if you look at all of these things, the shoes and the socks and, and, and the shirts and, and all this stuff, it, if you look at each one of them individually, they're really not that big a deal. You could probably get uh, away with and go through the training process and even the run itself without one of these. But if you, when you put them all together, they're pretty significant. And as I thought about this in relation to running the race of faith, it became obvious that we need to prepare for that race as well. We need to read about what it means to be in the race of faith. In the scriptures, we find this. We find the struggles and the triumphs, the promises and the joy that we have as we live in a relationship with Christ, giving us hope each and every day that we are in the race. We need to, to talk to those who have gone before us. We look around this room this morning, and, and we can seek godly wisdom and advice and counsel to see how they have endured and not given up. We're called to count the cost and to choose for ourselves this day whom we will serve. We need to know the spiritual disciplines like prayer and, and reading the scriptures, fasting, giving, solitude, worship, service, meditation. And in doing so, we determine if we are willing to incorporate those into our race of faith. And the question we have to ask ourselves is this, are we? Are we incorporating those into our race of faith? Are we willing to prepare? Are we willing to really look at what it takes to be in this race, or will we just stumble our way through and hope for the best? The Scriptures point to this idea that we need to prepare for the race. And as we prepare for this race, there will also be some things that we need to, number two, remove. Look again at verse 1. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, the danger in saying that we need to remove some things is that we create this list of what you can and cannot do. And while scriptures give us direction and some specifics, the idea is greater than the detailed items on the list. And while we see in the scriptures, scriptures like Luke 21, 34, where Jesus says, hey, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of life. Jesus is not setting out a list of rules and you know, this exhaustive list as much as he's trying to encourage his disciples not to be weighed down with certain activities that would hinder their spiritual growth. Paul encourages the church in Colossians 3, verses 5 through 10, to put to death, to remove the things from our earthly nature, things like anger and rage and slander, filthy language, lying, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 1, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. James, late in chapter 1, after talking about hearing the word of God and then acting upon it, says we are to rid ourselves of that which draws us away from the Lord. And again, the scriptures are not trying to create an exhaustive list of what you can and cannot do. I would suggest the purpose is to say those things and other things like them, and in fact anything, that when they are in your life, as they make running the race of faith difficult, we need to throw them off. We need to remove them. Now remember, the author's intention here in this text is to encourage the faithfulness of the audience, not to create more rules and laws. Remember, we talked about living under grace and having faith is better than the law, right? 
The author's intention here is to remind them of the amazing gift of faith and to encourage them to remain faithful to God through Christ and his new covenant, to remove the sin, to remove the unbelief so as not to lose the race, the race of faith. And to me, that brings a question to the forefront. What is it that you would say God is calling you to remove from your life? What is it that he's hindering you or entangling you? What is it that God is bringing to your mind? And when God brings it to your mind and places it on your heart, are you, are we, are we willing to lay it down? There's a third thing I would suggest we would be wise to do in our faith. We would be wise to continue. Now, that may seem obvious, but, but it needs to be said. Living a life of faith is more like running a, a marathon than a sprint. There is more to it than just a quick burst of energy and speed and then the race is over. This race requires sustained effort over a long period of time. I know for me, when I go out on a long run, there are times when I hit that eight or nine mile mark and I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I out here running? This is hard. I am tired. I should just stop and get a big iced coffee and call an Uber and go home and, you know, chill out on the couch, right? But I've yet to do that because I like the words of Robert Frost, who's been credited with saying, the best way out is always through. Maybe you can relate to that idea in the area of your faith and your relationship with God because at times, if we're honest, it's hard. You're tired. It seems like it's just one struggle after another. It's always seems like it's uphill and that the peak of the mountain, you just never get over the hump and you begin to wonder, is it all worth it? And that's why I'm so thankful for the words of scriptures. Another way to think about this particular aspect of continuing, especially when it comes to our journey of faith, is to think about it in relationship to having patience. Jesus taught his disciples about continuing, about persevering, about having patience. In Luke chapter 8, in the parable of the sower and the seed, we see that a crop is produced by the one who perseveres. In Matthew 10, 22, Jesus encourages his disciples to stand firm to the end, a challenge he reiterates during his discourse on the Mount of Olives in Matthew 24. Here in Hebrews, the author has stressed the importance of continuing on by sharing the example of Abraham and by quoting from various Old Testament scriptures. In other parts of the New Testament, we see Paul say in, in Romans fifteen four, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. What we find in the scriptures is the faithfulness of God who fulfills his promise and the hope we have when we're faithful to him. The point is that we are encouraged to continue in our race of faith, our relationship with the Lord, because, again, enduring is better than quitting. But it's not always easy. I know for me, and it's the same when I think about running, you know, going out for a run, and about my race of faith. It's easy for me to get distracted. There are always a lot of things that that buy for my attention and sometimes grab my attention, things that either keep me from running or they lead me down the wrong path in my faith, which is why it's important that as we run this race of faith, we strive to focus. Look with me at verses 2 and 3. The text says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, 
and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Our focus needs to be on Christ. And while, yes, we may glance to the right and to the left in order to see others who are running this race of faith as well, our focus is not on anything or anyone else other than Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way in Colossians chapter 3, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. The amazing part is that as we look on things above, we see Jesus who has set the example for us as our leader. He has blazed the trail for us and has invited us to follow him. It's so interesting when you think about it because in a race, one of the things runners often do is they pace themselves off of a talented runner in front of them or beside them. And in a similar way, we look to Jesus as the pace setter for our life as we run our race of faith. And as we focus on him, we realize that the preparation was worth it. The things we laid aside are not missed. Continuing to run each day can be joyous because we are on this journey with Christ. Jesus finished the race because of the joy set before him. This joy is part of what he offers to us still today, and it helps us focus on Christ. If we look at Jesus' life He was so much more than just what he did for us on the cross. His life was revealing the love and the grace and the path of God for all people. 1 Corinthians 9 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. It is thought that Paul was referencing the Greek games where athletes were subject to a a 10-month training period. Uh, During this time, they observed a strict diet. They exercised at the appointed times. They rested at the appointed times. They lived often in isolation. And if they did not train according to the rules, they were disqualified. This strict training allowed them to compete for that one crown. But for us, the crown is an eternal crown relationship with God and it's a crown that's available for everyone it's a prize or a crown that will never fade away it's a relationship with God that can begin today and blend into eternity and it all begins as we put our faith and our trust and our hope in him as Isaiah 40 verse 31 says those who trust in the Lord will find new strength they will soar high on wings like eagles they will run and not grow weary they will walk and not faint. We want to invite you to get into this race of faith, to begin in your relationship with God, to join with others as we run this race together, as we prepare, as we remove, as we continue, and as we focus on Christ. The question that we have to answer is this. Are we running the race marked out before us? I have to tell you that often the hardest part for me when it comes to running are those first few steps. Uh, For me, I can get up and I can get dressed and I can be prepared, uh, but the most difficult part of the run for me is often from the front door to the end of the driveway. (laughs) If I can make it to the end of the driveway, I am off and running. And the same may be true for you. Maybe you're ready and you're prepared, but the hardest part for you is to take that step of faith toward Jesus 
to step out and to make your way down to the end of the driveway. And maybe figuratively that's, that's the way it is. And maybe for you that, that means the hardest part for you is to make your way over to the cross. Where you can accept Jesus for the first time as your Lord and Savior. To be obedient to him in baptism. To reconnect him in your life. To, to have people pray with you and walk beside you. What is that step that you need to take? That's a difficult step. But if you were to take it, things would change. Your life would have a, a fulfillment and a life to the full that, that Jesus offers to us. That's the invitation that we have the opportunity to present to you this morning. And we invite you to respond. Let's pray together. And then we'll stand and sing. Let's take that step of faith, a step toward Jesus, as we respond to the Lord.